Well, folks, tonight, uh, find the little book of Jude. If you don't know where Jude is, find Revelation and just turn back one book. And like I say, two week, we'll, we'll aim for two weeks from tonight getting started in Genesis. God's prescription for healthy believers. We won't go through uh, all the verses tonight. We'll actually hit the beginning and the end of the letter. Also have 2 Peter 2 ready. Uh, Jude, verse 1 says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James... To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's way or Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch. The seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. 
These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. It's quite a chapter. I heard a story, a joke about a young doctor just getting started in the medical profession back in the days when doctors were still making house calls. Late one night, he received a call from a farmer who was hysterical. He said, doctor, come quickly. My wife is seriously ill. Well, he grabbed his little black doctor's bag. He hurried out to the farm. The farmer met him and rushed him into the house and back to the bedroom. The doctor took took one look at her and asked the family to wait in the other room, which they did. Pretty soon, the doctor appeared at the door. He said, quick, give me a screwdriver. The farmer got him a screwdriver. A few minutes later, quick. Give me a pair of pliers. They got him a pair of pliers. A little while later, the door opened again. and The doctor said, quick, I need a hammer and a chisel. Well, by that time, the farmer had lost patience. He said, doc, I want to know right now what is wrong with my wife. The doctor said, I don't know, sir. As soon as I can get my little black bag open, I'll hopefully let you know. (laughs) Well, Dr. Jude didn't have the problem of knowing what was wrong. He knew exactly what was wrong. He knew exactly what needed to happen to fix it. And he got straight to the point with one of the shortest but hard-hitting letters in the whole New Testament. Now, folks, on the one hand, he was battling against the climate of the society. On the other hand, there was the challenge of the church. You know, the church is to be scattered out into the world, but, you know, a problem is that to some degree, the world always has a way of getting into the church, right? The church has always got to stand strong against the ways of the world. Paul told the Corinthians, come out from among them and be ye separate. We don't hear a lot about that today. 
but we've got to be separate. We don't need to be monks because God has called us to minister in a fallen world. But woe to us if we become like the world. So we've, we've got to be in the world but not of the world as you've often heard said. That's the tension that we experience in the church. The ministry we have is to be carried out in a dark world. You don't shine a light in the light. You shine a light in the dark. And that's what we're to do. But the darkness can't be allowed to contaminate the light. Well, how do we do all of this? How do we live healthy Christian lives, creating a climate of health and well-being for others, as well as growing in grace ourselves, when all around us there are those who try to undermine Christianity? I'm going to give you several thoughts tonight on what we're to do. First of all, there is the need to contend for the faith. Look at verse 3 again. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude is being like a, a good spiritual leader, a good pastor, who he has one thing in mind, but yet he sees the need of his congregation being something different. And so he wants to address what is their urgent need at the moment. Don't you wish we had his other letter too that he intended to write? But this is the one we have. And he says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith or to contend earnestly. In the Greek text... Those two words make up one word that is found here in its intensive form. And being in its intensive form, what that does is heighten the urgency of the moment, the importance of the moment. Now, the word contend, the, the root word is Agon. Now, what's the root? What's that? The root word of another word we get? Agony. Agony. Paul says in Ephesians six, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. The Christian struggle can sometimes be difficult. It can be agony. It can be challenging. It can be stressful. But nonetheless, we are to contend earnestly. You know, men will fight for a lot of things, won't they? Back in 2015, for $100 on pay-per-view, you could watch Floyd uh, Mayweather and Manny uh, Pacquiao go at it. For $500, you could have watched just their weigh-in alone. Isn't that crazy? That anybody would pay $500 to see two boxers weigh-in. So men will fight for a lot of things. 
But Jude is saying here that we are to struggle to keep the faith pure. He says the faith once for all delivered to the saints. There is to be an apologetics nature to our Christian ministries. We've got to always be ready and willing to give a defense of the faith and to clearly articulate what we believe. The way that Jude writes, contend for the faith, communicates that there was a body of doctrine already by Jude's day that was considered the faith. The definite article there, the faith. And it was a body of doctrine that was not always in some state of flux. It wasn't changing. He says the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I want you to listen for a moment while I read what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What would you call that? That's the faith that's once for all delivered to the saints, right? That's the heart and core of the body of doctrine, the body of Christian doctrine that we are to strive for, that we are to contend for. Again, it's not in a state of flux. Now, why is it such a need that we contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints? Why is there a need for the church to do that? Why do we wrestle for a pure gospel? Why do we do that? By the way, let me give you a hint. Jude tells us why. Jude tells us why there is the need to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Yes. Yes. Look at verse 4. What's verse 4 say? What's verse 4 say? Yes. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were destined for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Are you with me tonight? It is because of verse 4 that Jude is saying they need to do what he's told them to do in verse 3.
Even in Jude's day, there were those who had crept in, who had snuck in. Paul uses a related word in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 4 when he speaks, when Paul speaks of a group that had crept into the Galatian churches and they were upsetting the faith of many. Who was that group that had crept into the Galatian churches? What were they known as? Who? The Judaizers. And what were the Judaizers saying? You've got to be circumcised, follow the Old Testament law in addition to Jesus. The Judaizers were basically saying, uh, you want to be saved through Jesus? That's well and good, but he's not enough. You need something else in addition to Jesus. Paul says they were preaching a gospel that is really no gospel at all. The Judaizers were just like these men here in verse 4. Whether the identity is one and the same, we don't know. But the Judaizers were much like this group right here. Men who are denying the gospel, who have snuck in, they've crept in. Where have they crept in? They've crept into the church. Folks, he's not talking about atheists here who show up on TV attacking the gospel. He's talking about people that can be right here on our church pews from within. Who little by little can chip away at the gospel. Little by little, they have certain ways of introducing false doctrine and even denying Jesus Christ. The devil's put them there. Remember, Jesus said, wherever you find the wheat, what else do you find? You find tares. Folks, it is because of that that we always have to be vigilant. Now, I want you to listen to what Peter said about this group. Peter, in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, he says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. 
For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah a herald of righteousness and seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment unto the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority bold and willful they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones whereas angels though greater in might and power do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord but these like irrational animals creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed blaspheming about matters of which they're ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime they are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression, a speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. Sounds a lot like the same group that Jude is speaking of, doesn't it? And again, where are they? In the church. It's not the atheist on TV. Of course we know we have to give a defense of the faith to people like that. But he's saying as time goes on, you even have to be careful of people in the church who would sow seeds a false doctrine to turn people away from Christ. Jim? We sure do. The modern day church. Okay. Yeah. Endorsed it. Right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Same type thing. We could cite all kinds of examples, couldn't we?
Have you read the book, The Gagging of God by D.A. Carson? Now, if you don't read it, it makes for a great doorstop because it's probably about 800 to 1,000 pages long. It's probably more than 1,000 pages long. Uh, D.A. Carson, along with Al Mohler right now, I don't think I'm exaggerating in what I'm about to say. I think the two of them would probably be the intellectual leaders of the evangelical community right now in our generation. Um, He's a fabulous New Testament scholar. Uh, But his book, Gagging of God, is more philosophical. Uh, it's It's a book about how the world tries to silence God. And he mentions in the opening of the book three kinds of pluralism that we have to battle against today. First of all, there is empirical pluralism. Now, this is simply the fact, this is not bad. This is not bad in and of itself, as he points out. Empirical um, pluralism simply states that we live in a more diverse world now than perhaps we ever have. Just the reality. You know, we're told 500 languages are spoken in the Charlotte school system now. 500 languages. I couldn't even name 500 languages. That's empirical pluralism. That's the arena that today's church is called to minister in. Again, no judgment one way or the other about it. Just means God's bringing the mission field to the church. Second kind of pluralism he talks about is cherished pluralism. This is the celebration of the fact that we are more diverse. Again, no attempts here to do anything about it. Cherished pluralism says just celebrate the fact that that we are more diverse. Because if you're a Christian, it means again that what? God is bringing the mission field to us. But Carson says then there's the big one. The dangerous one philosophical pluralism. This is the battlefield of different worldviews. In in a postmodern age, some people find no contradiction in holding to separate belief systems, competing belief systems. Sometimes systems are ideas that are even in conflict with one another. And the craziness of the postmodern age says that's okay. You can have two contradictory truths that can't go together. And yet you can put them together and affirm them both. That's nonsense, isn't it? That's nonsense. But that's what postmodernism says. Everybody is right, it says, and everything, everybody is right and everything is right. And who are you to criticize anything? You're to affirm everything. That's dangerous. 
Again, that's the age that we live in. Carson says that philosophical pluralism is probably the biggest challenge that Christianity has faced since Gnosticism in the late first century and the second century. Gnosticism that the early church faced. That philosophical pluralism is probably the biggest danger to the church that we have seen since that. And so again, what's Jude saying? Jude is reminding us here that there is a faith to contend for. It's a definite body of doctrine. It's not just everything and anything. It is a definite body of Christian doctrine, of biblical doctrine. Now Jude reminds us also and reminds his readers that God will judge these who undermine biblical Christian doctrine. God will judge. He says, beginning in verse 5, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses... He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. What's Jude saying here? He's doomed. He's saying, we've got to contend for the faith. Why? Because the people that he's just mentioned are creeping in unawares. And now he's pointing out, God's not going to let them get away with it. God's going to deal with it. And what he does is he cites examples of how God has always judged unbelief. Who do we today think that we are if we think somehow or another we're going to get away with unbelief? God's always judged unbelief. He cites the example of Israel coming out of Egypt. And those who were in the company but weren't true Israelites in the sense they weren't true, truly believers, God dealt with them. They fell in the wilderness. They didn't see the promised land. That's case study number one. Case study number two would be he judged fallen angels, verse 6. Now this ties in with Genesis 6 and 1 Enoch, an apocryphal book. A Jewish wisdom book. In 1 Enoch, 
200 of the fallen angels enter into sexual union with earthly women. Genesis 6 talks about that. The sons of God who lusted after earthly women and entered into sexual relations with them. How do angels do that? We're not told. We're just told they did it. And God put a stop to it, verse 6 says. He's locked them away into eternal chains. You see, there's one group of demons that are roaming the earth to and fro like the devil is. But there's this other group of demons. He's locked away in chains until eternal judgment. And then he cites, thirdly, Sodom and Gomorrah. God judged them. And so what's his point? His point is, these people who are troubling you, troubling the church, carrying you away from biblical doctrine, you got to be on the lookout for them because they're there. They've crept in. You almost get the, the idea of a snake slithering in and you don't even say, they're there. Wheat and tares, tares are there, they're there. And so you've got to be strong in the faith. You've got to contend for biblical faith because they're there. You've got to stand strong. They won't take you away from biblical doctrine. They're there. And know this, God is going to deal with them. Yes. Yep. What? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. The the pastor, uh, I would assume it's Charlotte's, it's probably Charlotte's biggest church. says that God has sinned. God has broken his own law. He's transgressed his own law. And, and he doubled down in it and said it again, said it a second time. Kevin Seeger told me about it and told me to go online and listen to it, and I did. I'm sorry, what now? Yeah, he's, God, God transgressed his own law. He broke his own law for love. No, I would say for love, he kept his law. He fulfilled the law that he could go to the cross as our sinless substitute and die in our place. So for love, he didn't break his law. He kept his law. So you're right. TV preachers you got to look out for. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's talking about some leaders here. You got to be on the watch because they, 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 they carry, they have a, they have a responsibility. Look at, look at what he says about them. He says, uh, abandon themselves, verse 11, for the sake of Balaam's error. False teachers who do it only for money. 
He calls them hidden reefs. What's the danger of a hidden reef? The people on the ship don't see it until it gouges the bottom out of the ship, damages the ship. They're like hidden reefs. They're, they're behind. You don't, you don't see them until it's too late. Waterless cloud. What's a waterless cloud? Promising refreshing rain, but there's no rain in it. Shepherds feeding only themselves. Wandering stars. The ancients would use fixed heavenly bodies to chart their course out on the seas. But if they happen to be fixated on instead of a planet in its orbit or a comet, it would be, you couldn't charge, you couldn't trust it. It's moving. They're wandering stars. He says that's, and, and all of these things, Joyce, you're right. Who he's implying here is those who are teaching in the church. Making the importance of being on the lookout even more so, more so urgent. Well, folks, I had three points tonight and subpoints. I'm only on point number one. You know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to end right there so we can go into prayer. And I've got next week to finish this more. Because I'm going to talk about how we have to guard ourselves, secondly, and then how we have to be a blessing to others. And then Jude closes the letter by talking about what? How we have the assurance of God's keeping power over us. God's keeping power over us. But I just want to ask you tonight, when he talks about contending for the faith once for all delivered to the saints, if you're going to contend for the faith, where does that start? What do you first of all have to do? You have to know it. You have to know it. Folks, Folks, as the church, we've got one book to master. One book. Of course, made up of 66 individual books, but one book. One book. How are you doing at mastering your Bible? And at mastering biblical doctrine? How are you doing at that? Are you neglecting that? Are you weak in your faith because you, you don't know the scripture? If there were somebody in your Sunday school class who started in subtle ways tearing down the gospel, would you, would you be able to recognize it and combat it. Would you be able to? One book to master. We've got to master if we're going to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And I'd also point out to you, don't be naive. 
you know, we got a wonderful fellowship here for which I'm grateful. But don't kid yourself that no one could ever slip in. Trying to lead people astray with false doctrine. Don't kid yourself that that could never, ever happen. Oh, preacher, that'll happen to that church down the road somewhere. It never happened to us. You sure about that? Every church body has to be vigilant when it comes to biblical doctrine. Every church body. Because wherever Christ is doing something, the devil will slither in. Sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah, because... Uh, because the devil knows that that's a, that's a church body, that's a ministry he needs to attack because they're preaching the truth. You what? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So again, how well do you know your Bible? How well do you know Christian doctrine? That's first base to being able to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And then secondly, just be aware. Be aware that it could happen. It can happen anywhere.